0: You're listening to the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp podcast for people passionate about making a positive change. We believe understanding your audience is the key to maximum impact, and behavioral science takes this to a whole new level. Join your host, Ruth Dale, and expert guests to explore biases, beliefs, why we do what we do, and why we don't do what we said we would do.
1: Hey, a quick question for you before the episode starts. Do you want to up-level your communications with the must-have behavioural science skills 2021? If that's a yes, then come and join the hundreds of professionals that have already been through bootcamp. The next date is October the 19th, 2021, and we have got an awesome, incredible, amazing bonus for you. So I'm going to leave you hanging and check it out at www.socialinsightmarketing.co.uk. Hello, we are delighted to welcome here today Annalise Levy. Annalise is the founder of Thoughtful Content. She is a specialist in health communications and Annalise is here today to talk to us about why health research is so important and she will share a some brilliant case studies, and she will share some fantastic tips to help those who really want to get started. So instead of us spending, we just decided like five minutes saying it's really important to understand your audience, to shape your comms, etc. We figure that if you're listening to this podcast, you kind of know that already. The importance of understanding your audience is absolutely critical. And so we're just going to hop straight in and explore the case studies and give you some practical tips to take away. So Annalise, over to you. Please do take a moment to introduce yourself as well and then tell us all about your fantastic work, what services you offer.
2: And yeah, we're looking forward to hearing all about your case study. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So I do health communications work, but it's all research driven. So everything I do is underpinned by qualitative research because I'm a qualitative researcher but also kind of looking at existing research as well and just to say so I do the research but quite often I do the full package because I'm also a health and medical writer so I might produce content and communications working with like a copywriter or digital experts as well and I mainly work in the charity sector um, for health charities, but since COVID times, I've kind of um, branched out a bit and I work, I do some work for some pharmaceutical clients and health professionals in private practice. And I've had an NHS client as well, so I'm pretty busy. But we said that I would just talk a little bit about a project I did for the charity Blood Cancer UK. This was about two years ago now, I think, and it was. A big project producing some new content. Initially, it was a new going to be a new website for the charity, focusing on living well with blood cancer. So that would be aimed at people who were either kind of in remission and then had treatment, or were still living with blood cancer. But to kind of use a bit of a cliche, it was about how they can kind of live their best lives and look after themselves. So as I said, it was a big project. So we did quite a lot of initial research. So I one thing I did was look at Blood Cancer UK's forum and do some kind of analysis of what people were talking about, what was important, what language they were using. And then I also looked at existing literature. So I looked at what people with blood cancer's information and support needs were, their experiences were from published academic literature And then we did do some primary research as well. So the charity held some focus groups. I didn't run those particular focus groups, but I went along to them. And then also I did lots of case study interviews and they were turned into content eventually for the website, but also we were able to use them as kind of insight to help build the content. So, I mean, there was lots and lots of insight that came out of that that was really, really useful in developing all those communications. But a really interesting one for me that kind of initially came up on the forum was there was like a huge interest in diet and eating um, and kind of exchanging recipe ideas because when you're going through treatment for cancer like chemotherapy it can really affect your appetite and it can make your taste buds change there was a lot of um, chatting about that on the forum but there was kind of an appetite and, and the idea of that changing your diet can help with your recovery as well but when that was investigated more in the focus groups, it, it came across that people had really been kind of bombarded with this healthy eating message. You've got to eat healthy and that will help you recover from cancer It will stop the cancer coming back. And a lot of people in the focus group were either quite sick of that messaging, you have to eat healthy, or they and they kind of switched off from it and they weren't interested, or um, they just weren't ready to make that change. And I particularly remember one lady saying, you know, I've been through a lot. I deserve a bit of cake. I don't want to eat ah. salads all the time. So yeah, it was that sort of thing. So they associated healthy eating with loss, like losing the yeah. rewards. Exactly. And it and so they just they kind of switched off from those words in particular, like healthy eating, that concept. So what I did and I worked with the charity to do was kind of reframe the messaging. So it was more about eating well, caring for yourself and your body, enjoying your food and kind of learning to love food again and, and generally kind of t- treating yourself well with food. So we used that as kind of the main messaging on, on the page about food and eating. And then also we, we weaved in the insight that we got from the forum and the other research that that people wanted kind of practical tips, which they can get from other cancer charities as well. But this was much more tailored to blood cancer. And also the idea that they could share recipes and some kind of more practical tips and, and links to the forum to get back to the forum and share recipes on there as well. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's
1: that's just brilliant, I have to say. So the, just to recap there, you did the forum analysis first. Yeah. And then the focus groups followed that? Yeah, pretty much, I think, yeah. So did you use the feedback and the findings from the forum to inform the kind of topic guide that was used in the focus groups if you then went on to test that theme? So the healthy eating theme arose in the forum
2: and then it was tested in I'm the focus to, group. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember. I, did, I think they might have been almost kind of simultaneous, but we, we those findings came out. At the same time, if that makes sense, yeah. But then also, when I did the case study interviews, because we knew there was that interest, I was able to focus in some of the the case study interviews on like eating and recipes and what people did. Yeah, um, you know, so I interviewed one lady who went through chemotherapy about how she kind of um, looked after herself, what she did to cope while she was having chemotherapy, particularly in terms of her diet and what she was eating. She had lots of like hacks that you could do. So she was really tired. So she'd, instead of standing up to chop vegetables, she'd sit down at a table and chop vegetables or she'd okay. buy some pre-prepared vegetables just to make sure she was still.
1: Okay. Um, so some really thinking. simple things
2: that people that yeah, that, found really helpful. Yeah. So all of that, I still count as research. Yeah. So it's, it's the initial research that can be used to kind of inform the communications and the content strategy. And then it's kind of ongoing research that you can actually use as part of the communications as well, the case study interviews.
1: Oh, so that's brilliant, because as you know, I have a public health background. and Oh, my goodness. Do we go on about healthy eating? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is. As a phrase. Oh, yeah. I can just imagine everyone is sick of it. Yeah. But, yeah like, um, being it's able really important. To rephrase it?
2: Yeah, it's, it's really important. But yeah, it's it's that phrase sometimes that I think makes people just switch off from the comms and not engage with it. And so
1: that that insight that you gathered sounds brilliant. Sounds like it's quite iterative and informed the process as you were yeah. going, and that's
2: fantastic because it really changes the direction of the content completely, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and it, it makes it quite different from other content that's out there as well. I think it kind of stands out the messaging from other cancer-related content.
1: Yeah, and that's that's so important that learning isn't it? Not to further turn off people when they're most vulnerable and they need the help the most.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they're going through lots of difficult things and they don't want another thing to have to kind of worry about as well. I think that was part of it.
1: Oh, so Annalise, please do share any evaluation or findings
2: from the project. Yeah. So I can share some kind of broad evaluation findings. It was very well evaluated, that project. Not all... um, health content projects are I have to say but this one was and so generally all the new content on this part of their website had very positive feedback and high rates of engagement and then they did some kind of more qualitative in-depth evaluation and they found that users who'd been to the website and looked at the pages were more motivated to take action to improve their lives They were more confident to talk to others about their experiences and they felt more able to live well as, as a result of using the pages and they felt less alone and more in control. And that kind of idea of being more in control was a really important part of the whole project, really. That is fantastic. So those copy changes and
1: reframing really help people become more motivated and in control. At such a difficult time in their lives. Yeah, and that's what it
2: seemed to show, yeah, which is that's- really fantastic.
1: Yeah, oh, congratulations, because it's amazing to think that that copy could be so impactful.
2: Yeah, just making a few, like, slight changes to how you might normally do things, kind of based on the audience insight, can re- make a real tangible difference.
1: Oh, fabulous. And I think you had one more example for us as well, just to really drive home if no one's (laughs) convinced by your wonderful blood cancer example. What's your next one? Just one second. Okay. Yeah. So
2: last year I worked for an organization called Agile. So they are a professional membership body for physiotherapists who work with older people. And they wanted to do some sort of communications to improve awareness of physiotherapy for older people and improve kind of knowledge and awareness of physiotherapy for that particular audience. So for that, the research I did was short telephone interviews, including one with a 90-year-old man, which was (laughs) very enjoyable. Uh, He was Uh quite a character. (laughs) And then off the back of those, I did a survey, a short survey, and I also went along to an online video meeting that was for an older people's forum. And I did a kind of consultation at that as well. And I also did a literature review because I like looking at the existing academic research too. That's brilliant. You like doing the academic
1: research. Yes. Right? That's amazing. <laughs> That's a skill set <laughs> worth commissioning. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm a real research geek, so I'm happy to read lots and lots of papers if people want me to. (laughs) Yes, please. That's the bit that finishes me off. (laughs) Does it? (laughs) Some of the key things I found through that research was there were kind of a lot of barriers that came through or kind of um, misconceptions or some fears that older people seem to have about physiotherapy. One ah. was that people thought they would have to pay for it. They didn't, not everyone understood that it would be free on the NHS. There was also a worry that it was going to hurt and cause pain, that physiotherapy would be painful. And there was some discussion of, of people being a bit frightened of physiotherapists, that they were quite tough. Oh, right. um, and then also, some people thought that they were too old for physiotherapy, it wouldn't do anything to help them. And then I did another kind of almost like a sub project looking at other communications around physio and exercise for older people to kind of test out what people thought of them. And uh, there was quite a lot of feedback that showed people didn't connect with the photos, the photography that had been used. They felt that those people looked very kind of elderly and infirm. And that wasn't them. Even if they oh. were in their 90s, they didn't. They didn't see themselves. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I spoke to a broad range of people, you know, they weren't necessarily all like affluent or, you know, but they still didn't see themselves. And then some of them had disabilities. One of them was 90. Like they still didn't necessarily see themselves. Yeah. That.
1: I suppose that we don't do, do we? We don't think of ourselves as aging. Yeah. Uh,
2: uh, and that's human want to, to read them and engage with them as well. So they didn't
1: resonate with the imagery of the old people. No. That's amazing. Gosh, that feeling of wanting to feel young really carries on into life. Yeah, exactly, which is really good, isn't it? Um, Fantastic. Not if you've been using elderly pictures in your (laughs) campaign
2: messaging. And I think a lot of that insight was new to the people at Agile, because even though they're physiotherapists, they didn't necessarily know all of those things that people older people thought about physiotherapy. Because that's I, I mean Yeah, I think with health professionals they're a great resource. They're useful people to talk to when you're doing research. But sometimes their perceptions of their audience are just based on like limited interactions, you know, in appointments and things. An older person might not tell them that they're Frightened or that they worried about pain, or so that is really useful to have that extra research from someone like myself.
1: Um, I do remember when we did Campaign on Falls, mm. and it te- the imagery tested really badly as well because oh, it was all it? elderly people, and then we had to bring it down to 50s and 60s. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just to start getting some attention almost. And so that's really incredibly, that could be used across quite a few subject areas, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, The psychology behind that. And Um, so your messaging, even if just by addressing those myths and debunking some of those fears and
2: barriers, that's your whole content strategy, basically yeah we didn't do like um I didn't do very sort of long-winded content it was really brief and short and just addressing those things physio is free you don't have to pay for it necessarily you can if you want to but you can get it free on the NHS and that physiotherapist will do everything they can to reduce pain that is not their intent they never want to cause anyone pain okay and also kind of um Highlighting that it can be really helpful and the different ways it can help people. It's not just about an injury, there's lots of different ways it can help older people. So, trying to highlight that in a really simple way. And then, a reason that this project isn't finished is because they have commissioned some photo shoots to get more imagery. Brilliant. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's a good outcome. That's itself. brilliant.
1: Yeah. So, thank you so much. I think they're two excellent examples of how doing user insight and even just testing ideas really can reframe and reshape your whole content strategy. And in a way, it just makes life so much easier for you because you know that you are meeting the needs of your audience as opposed to having to sit there and think, oh my God, what should we say? You know, having to think the answers have to come from you. It's almost though the audience and the research gives you the tools And it gives you a massive advantage when you're developing Hmm. your comms or content plans. So you are completely fantastic at this. I've seen your work and we've worked together on another project and it was brilliant. So any tips from you, I would suggest everyone really listen, grab a pen, take these down because they are coming from the pro. So if anyone's (laughs) thinking, oh, God, well, I really do need to get started you know, So think you're talking to not a health researcher, not professionally trained, a marketeer like myself that actually just loves doing user engagement, user research to inform their comms. How do
2: they get started? So I've sort of kind of three, I've thought of three main things you can do to get started. So the first is just speak directly to your audience. It doesn't have to be really formal or necessarily like really time consuming. You can do like five, 30 minute informal interviews with people from your audience. Ask them like open ended questions, try and explore their experiences or, and perceptions and barriers, I think has come out as being quite important in some of the case studies I talked about. And a tip within that is try and speak to people who are not experts. I find, especially in the charity world, Often the pool of people you have to talk to are volunteers, and quite often they they're kind of expert patients, so they know loads of things about their health condition. Quite often, very ah, highly educated, highly literate. That's not necessary. That, I mean, they can be really useful to talk to, but that's not necessarily they're not, not your necessarily audience. like the man or woman on the street. Yeah, they're not your main audience. So if you can try and get in touch with non-experts that can be really helpful. So you might go outside of like a normal pool of people. So you might go through social media or like your own contacts and do that kind of snowball sampling. I don't know if you've heard that. So like contacts of contacts of contacts, I quite often do. Also working with other organisations. I did some work for Pancreatic Cancer UK, developing comms for newly diagnosed people And for that, I really wanted to speak to people who didn't know anything about pancreatic cancer because that's what would happen when when you'd be diagnosed. It's highly unlikely that you'd know anything about it. So for that, I worked with a community organisation in East London who ran some groups with older people, but they didn't have cancer. And also it was useful because it was in an area of high deprivation. And one of the things we were looking at with this project as well was like accessibility improving kind of health literacy outcomes. So I kind of went along to one of their groups and did a kind of very informal focus group and a bit of user testing and showed people some of the comms we were working on. We got some really helpful feedback about what people found confusing. Um, Brilliant. And how to reshape it. But that's just an example of like different ways you can connect with your audience. It doesn't have to be very sort of formal Research-y. It can be quite informal chats. You can get a lot of insight. So that's my first tip is just speaking directly to your audience. Fantastic. And um, a second? It's kind of find out about what your audience are talking about indirectly. <laughs> so what I mentioned before about doing forum analysis, you can kind of try and hang out in the places where your audience might hang out. So it might be an online forum. It might be social media, you can also kind of look at analytics, what people are searching for, you know, using Google Trends. A lot of this stuff is is a cheaper way to do it as well. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money to do these things. So I've done quite a few projects where I've been given permission to go on the charities forum and, and look at what people are talking about on there. Yeah. And I did that as well for Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust when I was working on oh. some comms for them and that was really helpful we didn't have time or budget to do like in-depth interviews or focus groups for that so that was our one of the primary bits of research i did that was really helpful because i could see on the forum what people wanted was very practical information they wanted to know like what to take into hospital what can i eat that will help when i feel sick after chemotherapy so i could gather that insight just by looking at the forum and so we, when I was redeveloping the content, we added a lot more of those practical tips and that had really good outcomes. The last time I spoke to the charity, I think there'd been a 10% improvement on, um, page views on the pages that we redeveloped. And also people were spending longer amounts of time on those pages. So it was obviously kind of interesting content to people. That's brilliant. Gosh. Yeah. That's fantastic. <gasps> and um, step three, tip three. Step three is—I'm not sure how appealing this will be to everyone, but it's to, to look at, <laughs> look at the existing research. <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like a- academics work enough with like comms professionals to tell them about everything they've found in all these research projects that are kind of published in peer-reviewed journals. Yeah, um, there's so much insight out there.
1: There's so much, isn't it? And it's published in like cochrane databases and places which can be quite scary if you go on um, and you need to know how to use the keywords and the asterisks and things but it is worth knowing because once you've done it once you can yeah same it's a
2: repetition isn't it it is and actually cochrane even if you put in like a couple of keywords in their main search page it will throw up some interesting results and the way they publish their reviews is that they have a plain language summary. So you could just read the plain language summary and you'd get a lot of good um, insight and knowledge yeah. Yeah. from that. You don't necessarily have to read the whole like 40 page review.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And actually, I should not put over my own <laughs> likes and dislikes <laughs> because I'm sure loads of people love it sitting down with a cup of tea and an academic study. Yeah. There is often loads and loads of insight in there to gleam. And like you say, it's free. So it is time. I mean, it's quite time intensive, but it is free.
2: It is free. And I think another tip is to use Google Scholar. That's very user friendly, Google Scholar. And it, it will give you interesting studies. And my other tip when reading research is you could just read the abstract and the discussion you don't have to read all the scary stats bits. If it's, if it's a quantitative study, you don't have to read all of that because I think that can be really, I, you know, I find I'm a more of a qualitative researcher, so I find some of that daunting as well. But um, read the abstract and the discussion and you'll get a lot out of that. And is there something, because just drawing on
1: your work with the pharmaceuticals as well, if it's in Cochrane, which is a very well respected database, does that mean it's not compromised by funders? Because when we did it, in public health we kind of used to teach people to look at the the actual way the research is structured, the research methodology yeah. first just in case their insights actually were based maybe on the right audience, the wrong audience, or you perhaps might actually not agree with the approach. There's this, especially in behavioral science, we have a huge replication crisis and a lot of research is done on, you know, white Western world. And so, you know, there's there's a little bit about actually just checking who's done it and who's sponsoring it. But do you not have to worry about that if it's in Cochrane?
2: In Cochrane. So if it's a Cochrane systematic review, it's done by Cochrane. So So there'd be a much reduced chance of bias and they will talk about bias in the review and they will normally exclude studies that are poor quality as well. So reading a Cochrane systematic review is really, really high quality stuff. But yeah, it you're right. You're right. It's important to check the methodology and also who's funded study is the key one as well like you said like who sponsored or funded a study? <laughs> yeah. especially
1: you. the pharmaceuticals who are, they use it as their one of their core cool PR strategies but um, yes. thank you so you said that so eloquently thank you so Cochrane is really high standards and it reduces that element of bias yeah definitely just to be aware yeah okay that's wonderful <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really don't want to put yeah, anyone off great. going down there. there so just to recap, what the first one is talk to your audience. Make sure it is yeah. your audience and not just some very well-meaning people who love to participate. And then two, hang out with your audience yes. in social <laughs> media, forums, or Google, or analytics, wherever you can get some background um, information on them. And then the third one is do use literature, look up, Research that has been done by the academics using Google Scholar or Cochrane. And just to say that is why they do it as well, isn't it? There's absolutely no point having all this stuff published if it's not then used, but just making sure it is applicable to your audience, I think. um, It would be my main tip. On that one, and it just really re- help reduce how many things to read as well. If you're quite clear on your audience, and to be honest, if you do those first two steps, then you kind of well, that will really help focus your research as well, mm. uh, won't it? And oh, top tip: if you work in a local authority, ask your public health team; they will have done all of this literature review public health consultants mm-hmm. and specialists they do all the reviews as part of their policy and you have public health needs assessments which are published so you mm-hmm. will actually have this done for you so go ask your colleagues if you're in local right. authority
2: sorry if you're in charity but well, if you're you might l- have a research team and, and some charities have that so oh, they might be able yeah. to help you if, if you're finding it daunting mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and actually, we just completely assumed people find it daunting, but they yeah. might—they might love it. It's
2: amazing. Or you can, um, hire me, and I'll do it for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say your skill set is incredible, which is why we were really keen to get you on the podcast. Because to be able to take the research and then do the copy and the content is really rare. Often it's quite separate and research can be, you know, really useful, but perhaps a little bit too academic or removed from actually turning it into. So you're like, you can, it's almost like you can grow the wheat in the field and then you can still make the cake. You're the whole thing. You're the whole one. Is that a good Thank analogy? You. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, the like so, cake at the end. So. <laughs> just to finish up on our final two questions, which we always ask, And some of our previous guests have come and had like a dozen books. So we're going to get really strict and just one book because it's a harder, more interesting question.
2: If you had to recommend one book to colleagues, what would you recommend? So I would recommend Content Design by Sarah Richards. Okay, fantastic. Tell us more. (laughs) So Sarah, she led the government digital service and she introduced the discipline of content design into that service. And content design is just basically, is about creating content that meets users' needs. So a big part of content design is doing user research. And there's a great chapter in that book. It's called Content Discovery and Research. And it's got some very quick, practical ways that you can do research and work it into your content strategy. And it's good books. It's short <laughs> and, and very easy to read as well, which you would hope it would be. Yeah,
1: that's brilliant. Thank you. And final question what makes you your
2: best self? So I was thinking about this and I was thinking I probably should say, because I'm a mum, that it's hanging out with my kids. <laughs> you <laughs> but, don't have to. <laughs> but because they're three and six, as much as it can be funny, it's also quite <laughs> stressful. So what, what I actually have picked is going for a walk on my own in the park, listening to a podcast, because I love podcasts, actually. Oh, what's your so favourite podcast? I really like Adam Buxton. It's oh, brilliant. very highbrow. But yeah, he's so funny and he interviews really interesting people. And I really like any sort of investigative podcast. I've listened to quite a lot about cults and multi level marketing recently. Oh, okay. Oh like, true. Yeah. Things that are quite distracting, I think. And just like being out in nature walking in the park is just generally we know it's good for our well being, don't we? But I find it helps me stress and actually some of the research that I do can be quite heavy like talking about heavy health topics so it's yeah it's good to like be able to go and recharge my batteries as well
1: Yeah, definitely. And on your own. On my own. (laughs) Every parent understands that. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really, really happy to have had you here. And I think we're going to get lots of questions, so we'll probably even get you back if that's all right. I can see questions coming in on the detail of this. Um, So thank you some practical tips. That's fantastic.
2: Um, Have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you so much, Ruth. I've really enjoyed it great take care Annalise you too bye thanks for listening
1: and don't forget to check out the autumn boot camp on our website www.socialinsightmarketing.co.uk check out the new bonus and please do book your place because spaces are limited
0: Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, show us some love and leave a review on iTunes. We'll leave you with Ruth's favorite quote from Alice in Wonderland. I knew who I was this morning, but I've changed a few times since then. Got a favorite quote about the magic of change? Tell us over at the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp Group on LinkedIn. Join us for a Mad Hatter's Tea Party, virtually.